I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week you have me, Dave, and you have Leo. Good evening. Chris had other uh, engagements he had to attend to, so he's not going to make it, uh, a.k.a. Huggy. All right, so our guest this week comes by way of the West Coast. He's a perennial top 10 carry optic shooter. Let's welcome to the show, Wanzik Kim. How you doing, Wanzik? Doing very, very good. Very, very good. How are you guys? Excellent. Yeah, good. Still here. You know, looking past you onto that wall, I feel like you have so many awards up there. You <laughs> might want to strengthen that wall so it doesn't just fall off. Yeah, that actually wife shop. She does a very good job uh, staking things. Yeah. yeah, looks good. Thank you. I may have to borrow some to decorate behind me so I look good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any. So Yeah. Yeah. So Wanzik, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself real quick? Yes. My name is Huan Shik Kim. A lot of people have a hard time saying it. Uh, it's kind of like who in Spanish name Juan really fast. Juan Shik Kim. Okay. <laughs> but oftentimes my wife call me Sheik. That's my nickname, so to say. It's like Chicago without a go, so chic. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, thirty, almost thirty-four years old now, full-time shooting. Uh, I'm a co-founder of Practical Shooting Training Group, and uh, I'm originally from South Korea. And basically, uh, training people is what I do full-time, and of course, training for shooting competitions as well. And um, I grew up in Korea, and it's been about 11 years since I moved to the U.S., and I was in Rock Army, Korean Army, South Korean Army, and I was a Christian missionary for a while, too. So that's my basic background. And I'm okay. located in Washington State, near Canada, a city called Bellingham. It's pretty uh, area, yes, very green, Pacific Northwest. I love it here. Nice. Good intro. All right, just so that for those people who end up watching this on YouTube, now you know where Bellingham, Washington is. You can see that's Vancouver right above it. Yes. So there you go. All right. Now, Wanzik, what we normally do is the f we start off with five questions mm -hmm. to get to know our guest. Okay. All right, so we're going to start with those since I know you've listened to at least two episodes, so you'll oh, know some of the questions. Yes. Number one, what's your favorite movie? The Lord of the Rings. Okay. Okay, hold on. Peter yes. Jackson, Lord of the Rings, or original cartoon Lord of the Rings? Uh, the movie one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, just checking. Because we're we, you and I are pretty close in age, so we've probably seen you know, the same ones. But okay, no, I didn't cool, cool, cool. get to watch the cartoon one. Uh, I, I oh. grew up in South Korea, and I didn't have it uh, in, in Korea when I was growing up. So I actually missed a lot of good shows, 
and I had to catch up with some of them uh, after I got married because my wife uh, is American, grew up in America. So she made me watch a couple good cartoon shows uh, I really enjoyed. Okay, just put it on your, like, put a pin in that one. Be like, baby, what is this cartoon (laughs) hobbit that Leo was Uh, talking about? I gotta watch that. (laughs) If she doesn't know what I'm talking about, I'm not saying you should leave her, but you might consider it. Yeah, one excuse is <laughs> don't actually, she's, don't she's a little bit different generation, so oh, okay, she's fine. a little younger than me, so nah, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> so how uh, since you since you brought her up, how did you end up meeting her? Oh, we went to same college, so I did a couple things before I went to school. So I was a lot older, but basically she was doing a uh, what is it called that you do high school and college at the same time, the program. So she was doing that and we went to the same school and we actually met at a church. Uh, I asked her out there and we found out uh, we uh, we kind of knew that we went to the same college. We had uh, common friends, actually, but we hadn't really met. But we we were uh, at the church and that's what I got to introduce myself. So well, she's I, pretty smart. She's very smart. She's working on her yeah. PhD right now. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Is she going to make you call her doctor? <laughs> we'll see. I'm just asking. She might. She might. So I don't know what the statute of limitations are, but be careful. I wouldn't let anybody know you married a high school girl. Just saying. <laughs> That's why they, I asked about the doctor's the right term. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Your favorite book? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Bible. This book oh, okay. changed my life, and I went to actually college for it. So I went to uh, Bible school, Bible college for a while before I started uh, doing my physics degree. Yes. Wait, you have a degree it in is. physics? Yeah. <laughs> I went yeah. to, he got... Go ahead. I went to college for physics, and then uh, I actually was... I moved to New Jersey for... Ugh. Higher degree, but then yeah, that's exactly when I went there. I'm, I'm I'm not staying here, and I came back. I mean, there was another reason my credits weren't really transferring to New Jersey properly, and they made me you know start from the beginning. And I'm I'm like say bye. I came back to Washington, <laughs> of course, and that's around the time we were dating too. And then when I got back, hey, let's get married, and uh, I changed my major to manufacturing engineering after that. Oh, so much easier than physics. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I can say manufacturing engineering will definitely make money. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but physics, yeah. you could probably learn how to curve a bullet. So exactly. I that I, I missed. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's a whole movie about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So Huggy isn't here, but the question he likes to ask everybody is who is your favorite superhero? Uh well, if if Jesus counts, Jesus I, I was about to say you can't superhero. say Jesus. Okay, <laughs> okay, if, if that's out of the well, way. But Jesus, and then like, what's your actual yes. like, your other one? I, I would say Iron Man. Okay. Oh, yes. okay. Uh, the the fact they that he's actually human. Hair. Sorry. They both have great facial hair. That's true. Yes, the fact that he is actually human is something that's intriguing me very well. And also, he's very knowledgeable in, you know, science and all this stuff. 
And also, he's using a lot of weaponries. And I like, I mean, I grew up playing computer games. So I was fascinated in Iron Man uh, the most out of all other superheroes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your favorite gun? And what is your favorite caliber? Okay. Uh, I would say my, I will start with the caliber. I would say nine millimeter for sure, uh, because I know it best the best. Okay. And I think nine millimeter, uh, uh, budget wise, it's more enjoyable out of the box. I will say because twenty two is just too much little, pew pew. Uh, so mm -hmm. nine millimeter is <laughs> magic sauce for me for sure. Uh, and then I would say the favorite gun. Uh, that's a very tough question. Uh, in general. It's a AR-15 variant because, again, that's the most gun I chose in shooting games growing up. Mm. Yes. And AR-15 can be simply as like a SBR type, really shorty, or it could be really long that you are, you're using it for more of a longer distance. And there's like PCC AR variants. So that's another fascinating one, 300 blackout. There's so many... Uh, variables or variants of it that makes me really want to try um, many different types of ARs. Yeah, extremely versatile. I agree. Yes. And yes. not only that, but you can personalize them however you like with accessories or changing little things out here and there. Exactly. And I really like how the, the recoil feels. Uh, of course, if you put a muzzle brake or just regular flesh hider, it's a little bit different. But overall, I think Air 15 uh, recoil-wise is one of the most controllable recoil. But it's also big kaboom in, in my ears. So there's some fun there, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the one of the few calibers that, you know, of a for a rifle that you could shoot all day long without any problems. Yes. And then I actually have a PCC in nine millimeter that works very well. So I would say actually that's probably one of the favorite guns to shoot. Nine millimeter AR. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be getting to that. I, later I got some questions about, about that. So, okay. Um, so the last question I try to tailor mm -hmm. to our guest to make it a little bit more personal. So I don't know if you remember, but you and I were talking at nationals at the back of the car that you had rented. Um, and we, we were talking about a bunch of different things. And the one thing I brought up was how we've had several guests who travel internationally that have had some horror stories. Yes. Like we've had a, a Canadian couple on that almost got arrested in Italy they almost lost their guns when they came to nationals in 2020. Uh, we had an Air Force colonel whose supervisor tried getting him arrested in Germany for mm -hmm. having guns. Uh, we just interviewed Linda Turnbull, and she had guns confiscated in Amsterdam. Yeah. And you said that you had an interesting story in New York City, correct? That's correct. Okay. What is this story? I'm curious. Okay. So this was after European Handgun Championship, a IPSC match. Uh, Matt Nash, uh, I think he uh, told told you guys about the match. So that's the he match. He set you up. 
Mm-hmm. Matt Nash set you up. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually uh, the year before I shot with him at the match. So it was 2018, I think. So that match I shot with Casey Reed and Mason Lane together. And we were uh, having fun after the match. And uh, at the awards, actually, Casey Reed and I got food poisoning. And it was really bad. And then also on top of that, the airline told us, hey, your flight's being delayed by a day. And we were like, maybe we should just try to find another alternative instead of spending another day uh, in Prague. So what we did is, okay, we have a flight to go straight to Boston. And then from Boston, uh, Mason can go home and KC flies to his home. And there was another option that was going to JFK and then go to Seattle. If I had to go to Boston, there was flights Seattle too, but it was two hours more. So I was thinking, okay, I might as well just save two hours, go to JFK and fly to Seattle from there. So uh, two other dudes went to Boston and just me, I went to JFK. And then as I was going to JFK, uh, Mason's mom uh, texted me. Uh, she told me a couple of information about how JFK uh, has some strict rules. So she told me, hey, when you land, you must not touch your baggages because you're going to once you go through the immigration, you have to claim your bag and recheck in for the domestic flight. So I told her, OK, I'll do that. And the, the uh, Mason's mom was just talk to the TSA agent and let them handle your bags. So when I got there, uh, there was a TSA agent and I told him, hey, uh, I shot this international handgun competition and then i'm transitioning here to seattle and i have a firearm checked in firearm in my bag and the guy was telling me oh i didn't hear anything about firearms well who are you flying with and i'm flying with delta so they called the delta agent which took maybe 20 minutes but my flight was uh, maybe leaving in about an hour and 20 minutes i think it was something like that so there was some time crunch happening and then the Delta agent told me, we didn't hear anything about firearms. Like, I, I have nothing to say. Mm. The Delta agent was now carrying my, uh, carrying my suitcase with the firearm in it. And then we went to the TSA uh, office. And the chief of TSA was basically looking at my paperwork. I think it's uh, form 4457. I think that's what the, the proper uh, form is to bring back in uh, firearm so they were looking at the serial number and paperwork and they were like okay uh, you're fine you're good to go paperwork's fine and then about the time i was trying to leave the office the chief tsa agent uh, stopped me and telling me hey if you get out of the terminal to recheck in your bag that's actually not our jurisdiction it's actually the new york cop jurisdiction so even though you cleared firearm with us, once you get out of the terminal to the um, the terminal to the airline booth to recheck the firearm, right, or recheck the baggage to Seattle, in that manner you are breaking New York airport rule or New York state rule, whatever. Right. Now the NYPD can arrest you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna call the NYPD airport cops and then bring them in here before you get in trouble 
so now there was another 20 minutes delay by this time <laughs> i'm thinking uh i don't think i'm going to be able to make the flight i'm not sure and then the new york cops came in to the office tsa office and uh, the guy in the front so by the way these three cops came in and all of them had like the bulletproof vests and mm -hmm. tins on them and as they come in they like kind of yelled like who's who's the guy with the firearm over here and i raised my hand and he said sir do you have a new york firearms permit and i said no then now he was having the AR-15 on, on the hip position. And then now he points the AR-15 at me with the hip position and told me then I have all the reasons to arrest you. And that's where I'm like, well, I'm not actually going out to the airport. I just need to make it to the next flight. And then that's where the chief of TSA said, hey, that, that guy isn't staying in New York. He just needs to recheck in the baggage and get into the next flight. And then uh, the guy was going, the New York cops now are going through the paperwork again with the firearm serial number. And also he wanted to see my carry license if I had one and I have one. So he checked my carry license, uh, the four, form 4456, whatever. And then he's now going through all the processes and he's like literally ripping the form inside the gun uh, hard case like trying to thoroughly check it. Now that's taking another 20 minutes. Good so Lord. Time, I'm basically missing the flight. And I told, I was continuously reminding them, like I, my flight is leaving at this time. My flight is leaving at this time. And then after thorough check, the New York cop escorted me out with the Delta agent carrying my suitcase again. And then the Delta agent was telling me, just go straight. I'll check in the bags for you. Just go to the terminal, run as hard as as possible, and then the uh, New York PD uh, they escorted me through the airport the whole time, even though I wasn't having any firearms or any baggage with me because the Delta agent was carrying it. They uh, one guy in front of me, two guys in behind me, and uh, they basically emptied an air uh, an elevator to the terminal. So <laughs> there Good were no people in the elevator. They you know pushed the button on the elevator. And then the New York cops were like, I need all of you to leave the elevator. And then I was I was being escorted to the security check-in. I, I felt like a, in a way, VIP or in a way, like a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, definitely like a terrorist. I mean, this is Die Hard 2. <laughs> and they, they kind of helped cow. me out to skip the security lines. So there were long line of people waiting. So they were like, hey, we need, we're going to skip for you. We'll just go through the security as quick as possible. And by the time I went to the terminal, terminal was shut. And there was an airline agent. I told them, hey, I need to make it to the flight. And it was like, no, the terminal's shut. Nobody can enter now. The flight's gone. So now I went to the Delta airline to get the new flight ticket. And then the lady at the booth was telling me, there's no more flights to Seattle tonight. And you're going to stay a night in New York. You're going to have to claim all your bags and recheck in with you tomorrow morning. Oh, so I told her, no, no that's not going to happen. Just send me anywhere that's not New York. So she was typing and typing, and she found one flight in Boston. But she was also saying, yeah, I, we can send you to Boston, but you still have to spend a night there. 
And I told her, I don't care. As long as it's not New York, I'll be fine. Just send me there. <laughs> and then the lady told me, hey, uh, we must provide you a hotel because you are overnight staying. Uh, once you go to Boston, you go to the Delta booth, they're going to give you a hotel voucher. And then I landed in Boston. I, I was feeling very happy. <laughs> and I went to the Delta booth. The lady was saying, oh, there's a marathon going on. So we don't have any hotel. So you have oh to my gosh. So what they gave me was $20 Dunkin' Donut voucher, food voucher. <laughs> wow. The, I had stomach ache the whole night, the whole time because of the awards food. Uh, I got food poisoning. Mm, so right. That, it was, I, I would say it was the worst travel experience uh, in my life. I've traveled many places, but this was the worst one. So I, I guess New York's out for traveling through ever again. Yes. Oh, of course, with the firearms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't like New York, period. I mean, I, I like the visit and look, but yeah, yeah, their firearms laws are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. My experience, though, is when I went to the match, I was transferring from uh, JFK as well. But when I was going there, it wasn't a problem because I never had to claim my bag. It automatically transferred from JFK when I was going there. But when mm -hmm. I was coming back, uh, going through the immigration, I don't exactly know why that was, but they made me claim the bags going through the immigration. So I think that's okay. the case coming into the country. Right. That's what got you. Mm -hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, that's the worst story. That's terrible. Yes. Mm. So... Now you said so. Where in Korea were you born? Uh, I was born and grew up in Daejeon, which is about an hour south of Seoul, the capital city. Okay, okay. I've been to um, Pohang twice and Pusan once. Yes. So That's on the southeast coast. Yes, Daejeon is basically the central, lo centrally located. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, you said you, so you've been in the U.S. for 11 years. So you got here in your early 20s. Yes. Right after the military, uh, I served uh, when I was 21 through 23. And then I, when I was 23, I came over here. Now, what did you do in the Army? Uh, I was mostly a humvee driver uh the mos is actually a heavy vehicle driver so i was trained to uh, drive heavier vehicles uh but when i actually got uh my base needed more humvee drivers so that's most of the time uh about a year and so on i was driving humvees and sometimes uh, medical vehicles too uh, but mostly humvee and then later year uh Right before I finished, uh, I was driving buses. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, is military service mandatory over there? Yes. At the time, two years minimum. Now, uh, I heard it's about a year and a half. Uh, okay. A lot of people do two years, and some people stay there as like a staff sergeant. Uh, if you're finishing just regular two years military, 
usually you end up finishing as a surgeon. But some people dive into staff surgeon. Actually, one of my friends uh, became a staff surgeon, and also he wanted to be an officer. So he kind of went to the um, academy to be an officer. So he's now an officer. So some people actually start as like a mandatory system, and then people kind of find it as a career and stay. Uh, that's not as common, but it's pretty common to see somebody staying as a staff sergeant after that. Okay. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty quick. Uh, like mm -hmm. a staff sort. Um, so like in, in the military over here, yes, we started an E one, which is a, a private yeah. and an, a staff sergeant would be an E six. Mm -hmm. So six steps up. How is it in Korea? Is it the same way? Uh, basically, a uh, fifth step. The first one okay. is like a trainee, and then the first, the later one is private, and then second ranking private, corporal, and then sergeant. Okay, all right, interesting. I actually had a rock marine recon team mm -hmm. attached to my recon team when I was in Korea. Awesome. So that was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, here's a quick little story for you. One of the guys in their team uh, got in quite a bit of trouble because when we were out on patrol and where we stopped one night, he snuck out and went into town and got drunk. Yeah. So his NCO, mm -hmm. this is the first time I saw corporal punishment in another country. Oh, yeah. It was actually whipping him mm -hmm. in there. We left, but we knew what, what was happening. We didn't actually watch it. Um, and that was his punishment. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, but these guys don't play around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, but, the physical punishment uh, is uh, definitely going away. Uh, around my time was really going away uh, because of in incidents uh, where, you know, uh, people revenge <laughs> kind of thing oh yeah 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 but even even at my time uh there was unofficial physical punishments of course and this was 1987 so mm -hmm. it's a couple of days ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm showing my age so what is um what is your favorite food in korea oh in korea uh, that's a very tough question. Uh, there's there's so many different foods. And also, where I grew up, it's not a capital city. Although it's a big city, uh, we have our own uh, regional food. And definitely my regional food is, I think, the best of all. Because I kind of <laughs> grew up eating it. Uh, and my grandmother is a very good cook. I think uh, the favorite, um, or I should say, the, the, the food that I ate the most... Uh, is probably the the pork soup. Uh, pork soup okay. that has kind of um, meat. Meat is there. Some organ parts are there. Kind of like sausage in a way. Yeah, so that's my favorite food. Now, did you guys make your own kimchi? Did you bury it in the backyard? Uh, when I was really young, yes. But when I grew up, uh, there was kimchi dedicated fridge. So oh. I think, yeah, around the time when I went to middle school or high school, my family bought it. So no more ground digging. 
Yeah, I mean, when I was over there, that's that's how it was. It was just, you know, they buried it. Yes. To let it ferment. Yes. I got to tell you, that stuff smells horrible, or at least it did, but tastes fantastic. Yes. So I, I am a fan of I am a fan of kimchi, but we had a guy bring bring some back on ship with us, Ooh. and he opened it up, and it was like, oh, that place smelled yeah. for a couple of days. Yes. <laughs> so of course I keep kimchi keep kimchi in the fridge all times, but what I do I I double up on the Ziploc bag. So okay. Now, yeah, it doesn't seep out. Good. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, does your wife enjoy Korean food? Oh, she loves it. Okay. Uh, actually, she can cook very well, all kinds of food. She can cook some of the traditional food that I cannot cook, but my mom can cook. So when we first got married, she asked me around a couple times, like, hey, what kind of food do you like, but the stuff you don't cook? So, for example, bean, bean noodle, which is very traditional noodle in Korea. It's like bean cold noodle. It's amazing. They're very healthy, too. My mom always made it for summertime, but I don't know how to make it because it's kind of com complicated. I never learned. Uh, but Danielle learned it. My wife, is Dan uh, her name is Danielle. So my wife learned how to cook that traditional stuff and also cinnamon punch, very traditional drink from Korea. She cooks wow. that makes it for me uh she's yeah she's an amazing cook an amazing wife yeah, she's, of a, she's a five-star wife yeah oh she's that's really impressive yes yeah that's all so i take it she's been over to korea then yes twice so far okay okay nice all right so getting <laughs> we got a little i got a little sidetracked um when did you first shoot a gun I don't think gun ownership is allowed in Korea, correct? It's true, unless you are in the military or law enforcement. And okay. Yes. And even though uh, there's only specific calibers you can um, yeah, carry. And the very first time shot a real gun, that's a different story, real gun, was the military, of course. Uh, I okay. shot, I've shot K2, which is a uh, 5.56 caliber uh, kind of... Uh, AK type of design with AR uh, controls and AR mags. Uh, that's the 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 only firearm I actually used. That was my main gun in the military. And then the first time I shot a handgun was in the U.S. So when I moved to the U.S. 2011, uh, 2012, I met a friend who uh, who were working on becoming a cop. I think he's a cop uh, right now. Uh, I lost contact, but. Uh, he invited me to a shooting range, and I was telling him, what do you mean shooting range? You guys should be gone? And he's like, no, no, we should be <laughs> guns. <laughs> and then he brought his six-hour Beretta, a couple of different guns, and I had a shotgun too, things like that. And then that was my first time actually shooting a handgun. That was very interesting experience. But I actually grew up... Uh, shooting BB guns, not like extensively or anything like that. Uh, when I was really young, uh, I think I was like maybe five or six years old. Uh, the airsoft guns that you have to wreck the slide every single time, it wasn't like a gas-operated gun or anything like that. Uh, it was I was young enough 
to not be able to wreck the slide because you have to, you know, cock the um, air inside of the cylinder. So I would ask my mom, hey, mom, uh, I need you to, you know, wreck the slide for me. And then I go shoot one shot, come back to my mom. And I did that. <laughs> right. uh, I still have a uh, yeah, memory of that. You shot that until she got tired of cocking the slide for you. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh, I always funny. played computer game, shooting games, especially first-person shooting game. Uh, so shooting, for me, the concept of it wasn't foreign because in a first-person shooting game, uh, some games actually have like a, a point of view where you can see the front side, rear side alignment kind of thing. So that mm -hmm. and also red dot or scope. So I kind of knew about the concept of it even before I shot the first firearm. And I think that actually helped me for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got used to seeing the sights lined up because they do that automatically for you. So yes. Yeah, you knew what you to look for. <laughs> now, so obviously you you must have had a, a great time shooting the this guy's pistols and stuff. So how did you go from shooting your first pistol ever here in the United States to now being um, what you would call a full-time shooter? Yes. So uh, when I first shot it, I really liked how the recoil felt and everything. And then I uh, immediately got a um, hunting license, things like that, to be able to buy firearms. Uh, as a non-immigrant in Washington State, you have to have a, uh, either hunting license or sports organization certificate such as USPSA membership so you have to have a reason mm. if it's a because I came here as an international student first uh, so I my visa was non-immigrant visa so I had to get that first and then uh, the first gun I bought was a handgun uh, one of the cheapest handgun I could find at the time definitely didn't work it was malfunctioning all the time so I, I bought a hundred box hundred round box with it I didn't even finish the 100 box. Uh, maybe I shot 70 rounds. And then because it was keep malfunctioning, uh, I thought, oh, if I don't spend like $500 or $700, the gun doesn't work. So I pawned it. And then I got a Remington 700 shotgun and got a motion gun to the bolt action rifle. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, yes. So the 70 rounds was about it. And then... Around uh, 2014, uh, about to start that year, uh, I got into handgun again. I was watching a bunch of YouTube videos at the time, a couple popular ones, uh, FPS Russia and uh, Hickok 45, things like that, those YouTube channels mm -hmm. at the time. And a lot of people were saying, hey, Glocks work. They don't have a malfunction. So I was thinking, maybe that's what I should buy. And then I bought a Glock 19. And that was what exactly happened. It was shooting, no malfunctions. So that's when I got interested in handgun shooting. And around the time, uh, there was an indoor range I was going to. And the indoor range owner told me, hey, you should come watch Ipsic shooting. And I was asking, what's Ipsic shooting? Uh, he's telling me, like, hey, this is a competition, uh, people running and gunning. And in that competition, you don't have the rule for, you know, a one shot per second roll because indoor ranges tend to have uh, limits in how fast you can shoot. Mm -hmm. So I was just watching over the window 
uh, I think it was somewhere in the springtime, and I was like, hey, is this legal to do? Like people shooting fast and changing magazines, running around. And exactly, that's what I wanted to do because it looked like a computer game. And I started asking people around, like, how can I start this? And they were like, oh, just bring bring your handgun and you need a holster and a mag pouch. So I bought a, uh, this, I think it's called Galco. One of oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A brand. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like a uh, fabric holster. Uh, I bought one of those from Walmart, I think. And then uh, I had a weird looking mag pouch and I brought it. And then I shot the first indoor match. I think it was in May. Um, and then they were saying there's actually a sanctioned match, outdoor match. And the stuff they were doing was more of a classifier style, not really like a full stage style. So they were telling me, hey, you should come out and shoot a real match. And, of course, I was telling him, how, how can I do that? Okay, uh, just walk over the street. There's a USPSA headquarters. Go in there and then ask for a membership. So, yes. Uh, you literally went across the street to the USPSA headquarters. That's what I did. I okay. My school, yes. At the time, my college was uh, basically in the same city as where the headquarter is. So that's exactly what I did. I got a membership, and uh, <laughs> there was a local match. But I had to have a safety card to be able to do that. Uh, and then I was doing some research. Okay, now I'm going to do a real USPSA outdoor match. So I started doing some research on YouTube. And then I'm seeing everybody's shooting this gun. So I was like, okay, I must buy this gun because everybody's shooting it. So I ordered a Springfield 1911. And I was thinking, oh, this guy is shooting with a red dot on 1911. This guy is shooting with a compensator. Hmm. This guy is shooting with a long mag. So I bought the longest 45 magazine I could find and bought some 45 factory ammo. And then I went to the local match, first local match. And then my holster was the, the Springfield 1911 came with the holster and the mag pouch. Mag pouch shaped in a V shape. So I put first magazine bullet facing forward, second magazine bullet facing backward. So I was like, oh, this, this probably makes sense. <laughs> and then that was my very first match. In uh, the very first match, I saw this guy shooting. He was Asian. Uh, his, his name is Young Lee, Korean-American. Mm -hmm. And he's a grandmaster. He finished in top 10 in, at nationals before. He's a really, really good shooter. So he was shooting in a different squad. And then he was shooting on one stage. It's a 32-round field course. And a couple shots were very close. And he's shooting almost like a full auto finger da -da 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 -da, on the close target. <laughs> and I was looking at him uh, shooting it and thinking, he's, he's not going to hit anything. He's just pulling the trigger as fast as possible. And then there was a plate rack in the last position. And then he goes, tank, 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 tank. <laughs> and what did I just see? <laughs> Is that humanly possible? It's like faster than I can do in a game. So I was very amazed, and I immediately stopped one of the squad mates and asked him, hey, who's that guy? I was, oh, his name is Young Lee. He's a grandmaster. And I said, what's a grandmaster? <laughs> and he told me about the classification <laughs> system. 
And I told him, okay, I want to be a glass grandmaster too then. So I set my goal grandmaster on my first match. And then the second match, <laughs> what exactly I did is I want to squad with him and then shoot with him. And I didn't um, I didn't know back then that there was a so-called super squad, right? There's a He was always in a local super squad. So all the good mm. shooters squad together. And second match, I'm shooting with him. And he shoots first on this stage with a Texas star. And he just shoots from right to left. And he goes like, tang, 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 tang. Okay, I, I, I'm going to be able to do that. I'm, why not? So I went to the Texas star position in the big field course. And then boom, boom, ting, boom, 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 ting. And flat lock reload, boom, 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 ting. And then by the end of the position, there was only like three targets very close to each other, side by side. And when I enter the position, I shot one round and the slide locks. And then I go through my mag pouch. Uh, I don't have enough mags. So what I did is I started yelling, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and then Young Lee was the RO. <laughs> With the slide locked gun, I was looking at the looking at Young Lee and he was looking at me. And he just keep looking at me, and I was keep looking at him because it's a slight log, and I don't have more ammo. And I said, "I'm done." And Young Lee was like, "Oh, okay. If you're finished, unless you're clear, and I'm not holster." And then after that, he says, "Why didn't you finish shooting?" I said, well, I, I ran out of ammo. And he looks at my mags <laughs> on the ground, and he sees this uh, long ten round forty five mag, and. The second match, somebody told me I should be signing in as a single stack because I was shooting 1911, not 2011. That's one thing I realized too. Like, what do you mean 2011? But this is what everybody's shooting, no? And he was like, no, no, actually, everybody's shooting 2011, which is a double stack. I'm like, okay, I'll sign up in single stack. And Young Lee looks at it and went, oh, this is a L10. He's like, oh, what's an L10? It's the division. You need to sign into L10 with this magazine. And he's asking, hey, what kind of bullets are you shooting? Was, oh, I'm shooting 45. Okay, what kind of 45? And I said, oh, it's a factory ammo 45. And he's telling me, you're you're shooting over 200 power factor ammo. And I was like, oh, is that good? And he was like, no, no, you want to <laughs> load down to like 170. And and they were scoring my targets. And then they were giving me the procedure for uh, failure to engage. And I said, well, I, I engaged it. And he's like, no, no, you ran out of bullet. But I told him, yeah, but I said, bam, bam. I verbally engaged it. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> you have to actually shoot a bullet in it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, how I started the competition. Uh, and that, that was actually it. I immediately realized uh, I need to shoot production because that's the power factor matters. Like you buy a factory ammo, then yeah, minor power factor makes sense, but not 45 because it's too hot. And Young Lee was helping me out, of course. So I, I asked him like, what kind of gut is good? And he was telling me a Glock is good. Uh, CZ is good. And then I had Glock 19. So I moved to production right away. Okay. I guess you can do. <laughs> 100%. I'm totally gonna do that. Yeah, that's amazing. It might, it might actually work for you on steel. Oh, that, that, that's what I was thinking about. I'm like, that's just what I'm gonna do anytime I see a plate rack. Just bang, 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 bang. Or actually, it would be ting, 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 ting. 
<laughs> that is amazing. I think a lot of people have, uh, yeah, embarrassing first match stories. Oh yeah, yeah. or even now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically every story of me ever shooting any match ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Texas Star, I just gave up. I'm like, yeah, it's fine, it's there. But now I can say ting, 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 and it'll count. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. still then, I wasn't practicing like I do now. Uh, what got me into really hardcore practice is, of, of course, when I decided to be a GM, I started doing some research on dry fire, things like that. But what got me super motivated was actually uh, the first match uh, was in July. And in September... Uh, I was shooting with Young again, and he was telling me, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to Nationals next weekend. And I was asking him, uh, Nationals? Oh, cool. Wh where is it? And he was telling me it was in Utah, 2014. And I was telling him, wait, this is a Washington State thing. Like uh, Mount Vernon, had Burlington is the headquarter. And why, why do you go to Utah for Nationals? And he was telling me how the big, this organization is and he was telling me there's a world championship in october as well uh so that's exactly what i paid attention to there was nationals and war shoot i was looking at the scores and then i found out this is really big organization big sport not just a local thing and then i also noticed there was no korean names on uh, world championship uh, scores so I immediately decide I'm going to be the first one, first Korean person competing at the world shoot, and I want to be a world champion. So that's exactly what motivated me to really uh, put my energy, uh, passion into it. And yeah, that, that never stopped. And I got to wow. be the first Korean competitor at the world shoot 2017. So that was really fun. How That's pretty quick. Three years after you started? Yes. Wow, that's real. So, how long did it take you to to be a GM? Uh, that's a really different story than making an M. So, I I started as a C class because when by the time I got classified, I think I got classified in October. That's when I really started training, uh, which was in like September time. I was training every day, uh, but because I changed the division. Uh, they took a while to actually get the classification. So C-Class was my first one. And then once I figured a couple things out, uh, B-Class to Master Class took me only a couple months. So I think it took me about nine months to become a Master. But Grandmaster okay. took a very long time. Uh, I, I started shooting single stack and then production. And then I shot production uh, for a while until 2018. But 2017 is when I started shooting carry optics and production at the same time. So I made Grandmaster in carry optics first, which was in 2018, I believe. It was at Nationals. Mm -hmm. And then there was a time where I, I had to stop shooting local matches because uh, I was going to school and shooting at the same time. So I had no time to shoot a lot of matches at uh, especially 2017. I think I had only a couple local matches. So most of the matches I shot didn't have a classifier. So that really stagnated my GM card process. I actually made a GM uh, at Nationals. 
In production? In uh, carry optics. Oh, in carry. Oh, okay. Yes. I gotcha. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a cool place to get your GM, though. I agree. Yes. You know what I mean? So I'm going to assume you won the master class? At nationals, yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that'll definitely get you to GM. <laughs> but <laughs> that wasn't actually what got me to the GM card uh, because that wasn't the first time I won master, I think. Uh, actually, what got me to a GM was 2018 Nationals had multiple classifiers at that Nationals. Mm. So I got GM card by shooting classifiers at Nationals. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so what other, before we keep going on with the, the USPSA stuff, mm -hmm. Um, what other matches have you competed in? Um, the last international match I shot was probably uh, Canadian Nationals. That was pretty good one in Quebec. Very beautiful place. Match was very high quality. It was done in a military base. It was the first ba uh, first match I shot without a back burn because they, they oh. owned miles of land. There was no back burn. It was a there's mount, mountains maybe like tens of miles away, but that was a pretty interesting match. I have competed in Extreme Open twice and European Handgun Championship, which is a level four match. Um, that was one of the best experiences, Extreme Open and European Handgun Championship. Okay, so you've competed in IPSC, USPSA, in Canada, in Europe. What about, um, I know you just shot the two-gun nationals and did very well. Thank you. What? You're welcome. What about, have you done three-gun? Never. Uh, okay. Really Is that, to... Okay. Is it because of the whole adding the shotgun thing or? That's exactly why it is, yes. Yeah, it seems like a lot. Yeah. Now, what about, I think we spoke briefly too. What about airsoft? Have you shot airsoft matches overseas? Yes, I actually taught a class with an airsoft gun. Uh, Korea mm. right now, they are mainly doing airsoft. Uh, they do live fire stuff with shotgun IPSC and uh, regular handgun IPSC. But they have a really weird rule in Korea. Uh, what it is, is you're not allowed to shoot while moving. So oh. sports like the biathlon where you have to run and then stop and then shoot or ski, I guess, uh, that's allowed. But you're not able to shoot while moving. So what they're doing is um, most of the airsoft is for the stages. So when I taught a class, uh, we were doing in an indoor gym, actually, the IPSC Korea owns. And then we did a class with airsoft guns. Cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. I've seen... On YouTube, I've seen some airsoft matches. It's pretty neat. They still have steel and other stuff that falls, so it's pretty neat. Yes. A lot of the targets are scaled down, so that's one downside. But it's right. still yeah. Now, what about rifle or PRS? Have you done any of that? PRS, I haven't shot a match, but a buddy of mine who shoots PRS, um, hardcore PRS shooter, 
uh, he actually helped me out to set up my gun and basically teach the basics like bullet drops and uh, wind reading things like that um, that was because i was getting into more two gun so to be able to understand more far shots that's past 200 yards mm -hmm. um, in general rifle is something i really like a lot of course uh, because first of all shooting a handgun certain muscles get really tired so i want to kind of uh, break it into two parts where because uh, rifle can hurt some the pectoral shoulder area but where the handgun will hurt more of a hand uh, region so i do train rifle pretty regularly uh, especially pcc okay yes. now what is this red October match you shot? Uh, that was actually, I have a sponsor, KCI USA, and that company is sponsoring that match. So they invited me to come out and shoot. Uh, and also the match was after nationals, which typically once I should carry optics nationals, I kind of consider it as an off season. So that's a very chill experience. It's definitely a different style than any matches I've shot so far. So things like you have to go crawl underneath this Cooper tunnel, that could be a thing, or you're carrying this like a 80 pound uh, weight with the firearm and then drop it in a certain spot and then start shooting things like that. Uh, shooting far shots on a wiggly bridge. None of these are something I've done. So I thought that was pretty interesting challenge. And also it's an AK match. So Red October only allows uh, AK style or they call it Soviet calibers. Yes. Okay. And so as long as this is more of a fun match than a comp competitive match. Okay. Yeah. So anything that's a Soviet caliber, so seven six two by thirty nine, five four five by whatever that one is, and yeah, they also okay. allow two to three. But the gun has to be like a Gali or AK customed to 5.56. Okay. I think Leo has one, so he's grabbing it. That's what he's doing. Yes. Very nice. There, yes. there you go. 5.56. Mm -hmm. five, five, awesome. Oh, okay. What's uh, Who makes that one, Leo? Uh, he can't hear me. Hold on, we'll wait for him to put his ear, yeah. his earpiece back in. Who makes who makes that one? Uh, this. Oh crap! Who is this? This is uh, Zastava in Serbia. Okay. And it's imported. I can't remember who imported it, but yeah, it's a uh, it's it's an AK, but it's in five five six, so it does take P mags. And regular steel mags, so it's just ad uh, oh. adapted for five five six. Okay, so I could shoot this in that in Red October. You could. You could. There we go. Road trip. I would if Sean Connery <laughs> was going to be there doing his not Russian Russian accent. You know, <laughs> being a submarine captain. <laughs> now, Wanzik, have you shot IDPA? I have shot it. Yes, I am classified. Okay. I shot two classifier match and one local and one Washington State match. 
Uh, that was long time ago, 2015, I think. So no plans on challenging JJ for his IDPA national championship? Uh, first of all, I personally don't enjoy IP, IDPA as much. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't They have, definitely have some different stages. They are interesting stages. Yes. Stages are definitely one reason I don't want to shoot with. Uh, a lot of oh. the shooting is not not only the shooting, but a lot of the culture in IDPA is to penalize the shooters rather than to help shooters and have more fun, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know about okay. right now, but back then when I did, uh, one of the reasons it was only short-lived for me, like only four matches, was just because of that. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. I haven't, I, I, ha I didn't shoot any back then. I've only shot it in the last couple of years, and I didn't get that impression, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be very interesting. Thing. True. But a okay. lot of the rule set to me at the time, uh, they, they made a lot of rule change uh, since I they have shooting, but back then was to really penalize the shooters. Mm, yeah, I think they... Okay, I get you now. I know that they have made a lot of changes since then, so yes. that might be what they've gone away from. Yeah, I may have a very different experience if I shot it this year. Okay. Now, I would like to talk about nationals. Mm -hmm. You shot nationals this year. Mm -hmm. You were you were 10th. Yes. Um, but I need to whoop, let me pull something up real quick here. Am I in the right spot? Yeah. All right. Let me go here. All right. So you, you were 10th, but you also had some extenuating circumstances here where in your room at the hotel, you tried to amputate your Achilles tendon, correct? <laughs> With a chair? That was that was about a week and a half or two prior to nationals, I think. Oh, so you just wanted to level the field and make it so the other guys had a chance to win. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that much ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so you uh, <laughs> we were talking about this. You actually showed this to me at your car. So exactly what happened that you could you had to cut the back of your shoe off? Yes. So funny story is uh, I'm a hardcore computer gamer, right? So as, in preparation for nationals, uh, probably around a week and a half before or two, uh, there was a new game came out, uh, which uh, my wife and I, uh, we play that very often, the whole series, which is called Far Cry. Far Cry 6 came out. Just before okay. nationals, yes. And uh, I have my reloader press set up uh, close to my computer, and I was reloading, and uh, the game download was complete. So I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna stop reloading. I'm gonna play the game." So I have a very fancy, heavy uh, office chair slash gaming chair. So I was moving it from the reloading press, and I dropped it to computer desk, and my foot happens to be right there. So the the leg of the chair has a really sharp corner with the wheels. 
uh, right on top of the wheels. And then that sharp corner gouged the, the skin out on my back of my heel. Mm. Yes. So that yeah, was, a... yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, I still have the scar tissue not completely healed up. It was very, very wow. deep. Yeah, very painful. Uh, so what I had to do was, of course, my wife was telling me, hey, you don't have to shoot nationals. Like, just don't go. <laughs> like, it's going to be painful. But I was telling her, yeah, but this is nationals. I don't want to not shoot nationals. Uh, if I can walk, I would go shoot it. So because this is something everybody anticipates for the year, right? Absolutely. So, yes. I couldn't put any pressure on my back of my foot. So what I had to do is cut the heel part of the shoe out and then just duct tape around so the shoe and the foot stays at least. Um, so I can, yeah, walk and but, hopefully run. And, right. and But you said the first day you didn't tape it right, so your foot was actually sliding inside yeah. of the shoe? Yes, a little bit. Wow. Um, so after day one at the hotel, I examined the condition of it and – uh, at the time, wasn't bleeding on the day one, but after day one, I start seeing blood and the scar tissue lifting off from the flash. So the second day, I had to make it more secure. And then by the last couple stages on the last day, uh, there was so many shooting on the move opportunity at this match, but I decided not to do it. Oh, Matt Nash is calling me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt, we're busy you with totally him. You can wait. He's just jealous that you're on the show right now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I want to be on again. Okay. <laughs> Love you, Matt. I mean, we're so big that everybody wants to be on the show, obviously. They're getting their friends to be like, put me back on. Yes. I want to talk about your foot. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one uh, big issue that I uh, – my focus at the match was completely different than previous ones. So I actually thoroughly enjoyed this particular nationals and it was good study as well because um, shooting of the move is definitely my strength. And I was curious uh, what would be the results if I am not shooting on the move at all. Uh, because if I am like 75, 80, maybe <laughs> when I'm that old, I might not shoot on the move. And this is basically <laughs> telling me, like, I mean, movement is important to be able to win for sure. But you can still shoot very well was another impression that I learned a lot. Uh, but this was actually a very good um, year or good match for me to actually learn a great uh, revelation. Uh, because uh, I had a lot of stress before, mental uh, struggles. But this match, I really learned what it works for me to stay focused without much of a mental stress. Because uh, Ben Steger is my dear friend. Uh, one time he told me, hey, you're putting too much stress on yourself. And that's something that I, I kind of started working on. But this is, this is the first year um, that I was implementing something new uh, because... There was a lot of other health uh, concerns that I did had. Uh, I had sleep uh, paralysis, basically called parasomnia, where I get paralyzed during sleep and I was able to sleep maybe three, four hours sometimes, or even if I sleep eight hours, it's scattered throughout the day. So I had many different uh, issues with my health this year. But one thing, uh, one thing funny was I I'm a Christian. 
And uh, pre-pandemic, yes, I was going to church service, worship services, things like that. And then through pandemic, I didn't go. And then I kind of forgot what the meaning of worship is. And uh, when the things were, church were uh, coming back in, uh, I went to the church and then I started, you know, going to the worship service again. And I learned about heart of worship, which I am using all my heart. I'm worshiping God with everything I have. And the fact that I am actually full-heartedly doing something in full uh, strength as well, as much as I have, uh, I experienced some great power in it. So mentally at the match, matches I shot, uh, I would say none of the matches were as good as the ones that I had good health conditions, of course. But I think it could have been a lot worse if I shot the match this year with the same mentality I had before where I was kind of being a little cr critical and also kind of a focused on the goals and the results a little bit. But I really learned how much power there is to give 100%, uh, not focus on results per se, but all my own ability. So at Nationals, I had a great time. Usually, one thing that, that was very funny is when I did this, I typically drain my energy too fast so I find myself caffeinate myself more and maybe eat more or feeling hungry. My vision deteriorates pretty fast. Things like that happen pretty uh, prematurely at matches, especially at nationals last year. I was experiencing draining happening really quickly because I'm mentally uh, kind of too focused on I have to stay on the top where I have mm. to follow this guy's trait. I have to shoot like that, shoot like this. But instead of giving... Every strength I have, my own strategies, and really like knowing that giving 100% I have is enough, that really kind of stopped draining myself. My vision was clear the whole three days long. And that was actually first time happening in my life because uh, I have a very bad eyesight. My eyes are very sensitive and my vision fluctuates pretty often. So sometimes it can be clear, sometimes it can be blurry. But everything, mental focus, visual focus, everything was very, very consistent. Just thinking that I am giving 100% and this is good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, and you, so I guess you and Ben had talked about it and that's what you worked on going into nationals? Sorry, cut off for a second. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so that is something. So you worked on something mentally mm -hmm. that you and Ben had spoken about. Yes. Okay. So I take it you're going to take that that you guys talked about and start applying it every match to make it better. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's okay. It's going to be applied all areas of my life, actually. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, have you ever um, read any mental management books or taken any mental management classes, or is it just stuff that you and Ben or you and Joel or whomever talk about? Uh, first of all, like reading, yes, reading and watching a lot of mental-related stuff. Uh, I, I'm a stalker of the sport, so of course, like the mental uh, book stuff that's popular, like Lenny Basham stuff, of course, uh, I've read and heard audio city 
that's actually okay. what I prefer. I have dyslexia, so reading can be very challenging for me. So, uh, <laughs> and yep. not I just understand. The, yes, that's why um, I really had a good time studying it in English because I have less dyslexic on English than Korean because uh, it hmm. looks simpler. Like alphabet A is a um, less lines, whereas Korean letters yeah. can be multiple lines. I never right. thought of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. But then, yeah, I could see suck. that. Okay. That's actually, there's a huge story behind it. But basically, uh, I wasn't able to go to regular high school in Korea because I selected. Uh, but when I came to the US, um, I studied really well. My, yeah, I believed I was always dumb because of dyslexia when I was growing up in Korea. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's but hard. Found things. Yes, very hard. Yeah. But definitely I found other ways to learn things. And also English helps a lot. Uh, and in terms of mental management stuff, uh, of course, th there's some shooting or sport related mental stuff that I read a lot, but also non-shooting stuff like Christianity book is definitely one of them. Because uh, in Bible, there's so many things that addresses about life and uh, mental stuff. And that basically, I think one thing I was blessed with when I started shooting was a lot of the, basically who I, who I am was very solid when I started shooting. I started shooting at age of 26, I think. Uh, but before, as I was be uh, becoming a Christian and uh, missionary and also going to like uh, Bible school, universities, mission trips, and also being in the military, all those kind of helped me to build who I am. So some people say, hey, we need to start young to be able to be national champion. Yes and no. I disagree in many ways because of the life experience, discipline you may have developed. Of course, I'm not saying everybody's disciplined at older age, but <laughs> depends on where you are now. Because in my opinion, physical ability is not the deciding factor whether you're going to be in the top or not. Because I have a very bad eyesight. I cannot see the front sight, uh, astigmatism, and I can't get any uh, refractive surgery, anything like that. So vision-wise, I'm not blessed, but I can shoot. It's not really about how clear you see. It's about hand-eye coordination. And also, like, running things. If the running was the only case, then Rob Latham wouldn't win now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for and sure. Terry but Butler, anybody over the weight of 186? Yeah. 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 It's it's not really about uh making excuses, it's making of making opportunities. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that down real quick. Hold on. Yeah. You now, bear with me. I'm dyslexic, so give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> so, see, you never knew how great America was. We simplified the the language. I, like, so, <laughs> I just want to say, mind by it, I never once occurred to me that dyslexia could be worse in other languages. Like, yeah, never crossed my mind. I have it easy by comparison. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, so, but in light of having the injury mm -hmm. um how did how did you feel about your performance at nationals uh this is actually a small conversation i did with ben um right after the the match 
Uh, okay. <laughs> what Ben told me is, hey, I didn't see the lion uh, coming out of you. Mm. Yes. So one strategy, which I don't per particularly think it was a mistake or not, but my strategy of the match was first one was not further injuring. That was my first priority. That's that makes why sense. I stopped shooting on the move on the later days. And then the second one is shooting as consistently as possible and as comfortable as possible. Okay. Because when I am really or too aggressive, uh, I think that was going to injure my leg further. So in terms of that, uh, I don't know if, if that was a mistake strategy or not i can't really say but i think it was a wise mis uh, wise strategy so i really didn't shoot in terms of uh max ability so to say everything just as comfortable as possible everything as precisely as possible uh just kind of in a way watching a boring movie so to say <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I thought you shot pretty good. I was uh I didn't think it was boring. Yes. Now, what percentage of your normal speed did you say you were going? 80, 90? Uh that could be a good good way to describe, yeah, 80, 90. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I mean I totally get why you would back it down. I mean, your foot is not wasn't in prime condition for you to run and gun like normal. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the movement is one thing, but the amount of confirmation I did, I confirmed a little bit more than usual. So like if for example, if I am shooting uh 25 splits or 20 splits at 15 yard open target, then I would have back it down just a hair to maybe more like a 30 splits. Uh that could be one thing. Uh, or if it's a no-shoot target, especially on the partial targets, I kind of confirmed a little bit more than usual. Because the reason is uh, it, we're shooting a hip factor system. You know, hip factor system depends on what the hip factor your run will be. The points value they definitely changes. So what I'm trying to say over here, because I knew my weakness, which is not going to be able to shoot on the move as much and perhaps not getting as fast of a time mm -hmm. the value of points increases so if it's a 10 hit factor stage one charlie will drop 0.4 seconds off of your uh, score but if it's a five hit factor stage one charlie will drop 0.8 second value you know minor mm -hmm. score of course so knowing that uh of course there were some stages that didn't re really require movements that I treated a little bit differently. So, for example, there was a, a small stage where people were shooting 15 hit factor stage. Super fast. There was four target here, four target there, four target there without a reload oftentimes. Uh, that was 15 plus hit factor stage. And that one I shot with 100% uh, capacity, 100% speed, of course, because there's not much movement at all. So that one was a different, but... Other stages where the heat factor typically is expected to five and seven, something like that, is where I was being a little bit more cautious to collect more alphas and maybe have a less mistake because uh, that's the stage where people will have a hard time going back and forth in speed because now you shoot 15 heat factor stage. The next stage was literally like 70 factor or under. Right. So if you make a mistake of gear change 
you were going fifth gear and then now you have to back it down to the second then that's a lot of the mistake i uh, tend to see and one of my strengths is changing gears i can pretty freely go very full accurate to very full speed so in terms of that my strategy was yeah, shoot just shoot more safe and shoot more alphas on a lower hit factor stage and if you're seeing super high hit factor stage that's when you just let yourself go until next time don't be a little bitch yeah